Hello everyone, my name is Adam and I am a pastor. That's what I do. Uh, what about you? What do you do? Of course, this is one of the first questions we ask uh, someone when we meet them. Apparently, what we do is pretty important. And usually when we think of what we do, we think of work. And today we wanna to look at the book of Genesis and see what it says about this important topic. And it's worth saying that the book of Genesis can be a stumbling block to some in our modern times. Uh, but we remember this is not a scientific textbook or a historical documentary. This is a narrative about the nature of God, what it means to be human and what God intends for humanity. So today we wanna see what God intends for us regarding work. So let's start with two stories of work. Story one, the year is 2008 and I'm sitting in my apartment excited to watch a brand new episode of a new show called The Office. But I hear a knock on the door. As I open it, five young people with green aprons come in. These are my coworkers uh, at a coffee shop that I'll keep nameless. A hint, it rhymes with Scarlux. Uh, I notice they're giggling and I realize that they're supposed to be working at said coffee shop right now. Usually working there requires you to actually be there. And they explain that since I'm about to move to Chicago, they wanna spend one more evening with me watching The Office. And I say, this means so much to me, but I have to ask, what about you know your job? And they say, it's okay. We put up a piece of paper on the window and wrote, sorry, we're close for an emergency. And I say that's fine until our manager finds out that this emergency is an emergency office watch party. Here's the reality. None of my coworkers really cared about this coffee shop. They didn't care if this company lost a little money. None of them felt called to be a Frappuccino artisan. This was just a job, a place to make money until the next thing came along. And this is what work can be. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. I'm watching the clock, working for the weekend. Get me out of here. For some, work is soul-crushing, life-sucking, a necessary evil and a means to an end. Behind our Zoom windows, we have a YouTube windows streaming cat videos. Between emails, we check our Instagram to keep us from dying of boredom. As Drew Carey once said, oh, you hate your job? Why don't you say so? There's a support group for that. It's called Everybody and we meet at the bar. <laughs> Currently, we are experiencing what many are calling the great resignation. Workers across America are quitting. One of the main reasons is to look for a job that's more fulfilling and less soul-crushing. So that's one story of work. Story two, a woman graduates college and enters her dream company. She wants to prove her value and gain influence, so she vows to work harder than everyone else. She crushes task after task and is invigorated, realizing she was made to do this. So when the boss puts more on her plate, she gladly accepts. And late at night, she responds to emails and Slack messages, feeling important enough to solve problems. And on weekends, she works a side hustle, wanting to start her own company and become a CEO. She's had a couple of minor panic attacks and she sensed a creeping sadness deep in her chest, but these only cause her to bury herself in more work. After all, her work is her life. And to show your worth in this world, you need to have a great career. 
Now, this is a fictional story, but being a young adult pastor, this is not far from a common narrative today. So for some of us, our work is our identity. We are defined by our careers and our titles and our projects. In a groundbreaking article a few years ago, Derek Thompson coined the term workism. He says this, what is workism? It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. Martha Stewart speaks for many of us when she says, my life is my job and my job is my life. So we hustle and we grind and we take on more and more and we can't imagine ourselves without our work. And all the while, burnout, depression, fatigue are right around the corner waiting for us. So on one side, work is an obstacle, a necessary evil in the way of leisure and fun. On the other side, work defines our entire identity and worth. We are what we do. Are these really the only two options? What if work was a gift given to us by our creator? What if work could be purposeful and meaningful, but not stressful or exhausting? Imagine if work was a way to feel alive and human while still not defining who we are. Imagine if we could crush our tasks and help others, but still be present with family and friends and enjoy health and rest. I'm here to say that this is possible. This is the kind of work God is calling you to. So let's jump into the creation narrative to see God's design. In the very first verse of the Bible, we see that God himself is a worker. In the beginning, God created. The Hebrew word here for create is bara, meaning to form, to fashion, to shape, to make. So the entire first chapter of the Bible, we see him forming and shaping this entire existence. He does a lot of work. Now, what does he do? He designs and he forms sunsets and waves. He crafts mountain peaks and the smell of eucalyptus trees. He invents plants, some to eat, and others, just for fun, he turns into poison ivy. Don't ask me why. He works and works and then takes a day of rest. And he's fulfilled by his hard work. So much so that he repeatedly says, it is good. But then he decides to invite someone else into this beautiful work and creation. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and to take care of it. Now imagine how intimidating this is. No pressure. God has created everything to perfection. Now take care of it and try not to mess it up. No big deal. It's just all of creation. It's like when I was asked to give my first sermon at Menlo years ago. Our senior pastor was a renowned communicator and I'm a lowly kid from a small town in Oklahoma who uses words like y'all and ain't. And when I walked up to give the sermon, I remember thinking, whose horrible idea was it to give me a mic? This church has been here for 140 years. I'm going to destroy it in one sermon. 
But God wants to share his creation, to work with Adam and Eve. They were made in his image. So like God, they were made to be workers. So we see that work is not about making money. It's not an obstacle to get to the good stuff. It's not about self-promotion or proving one's worth. It's a calling to be like our creator. It's a gift. Tim Keller says, in short, work, and lots of it, is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. It's a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our life's purpose. But it must play its proper role, subservient to God. So in the first two chapters of Genesis, we get a vision of work. And this vision can lead us to work that's meaningful and fulfilling, but doesn't define us. So this vision can be summed up in three words, with, for, and reflect. With, for, reflect. We learn from Adam and Eve that they did their work with God, not on their own power. They did their work for God, not for status or money. And they did this work, as they did this work, it reflected God. It pointed back to the creator and his kingdom. So this is our vision. When we work with God and we work for God, our work reflects God. So first, with. Off the coast of Australia is a tiny island called Gabo Island. This island has one major function to maintain a lighthouse to warn sailors of danger at night. Now someone oversees this lighthouse, an island, and his name is Leo. He's the caretaker. Now Leo lives on this island completely alone, minus 30,000 penguins. At one point, he was in complete solitude for 21 days. Can you imagine that? Some of you experts can't go one commercial break without talking to someone. Now, what does he do? He spends his days mowing grass, performing maintenance, and making driftwood sculptures in his free time. He works isolated and alone. For many of us, this is our story of work. We are alone. It's me and my abilities. It's me and my deadlines. It's, it's me against my company or supervisors. It's me and my tools. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, but you feel like a professional chauffeur. You drive your kids to school and practice and you spend your days without any adult conversation. You feel alone with each task. Maybe you're a manager and you wanna lead your team well, but deep inside, you feel extreme doubt because you know you don't have any solutions. You don't have what it takes. Or maybe you feel like no one sees or appreciates all the work you put in. Or your tasks feel boring and small. You feel like your job doesn't really matter to anyone but you. Working on our own power is exhausting, lonely, Let's contrast this with the legendary Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence is known for a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's become a classic Christian text. As a monk, he was assigned work. What did he do? He worked as a cook and later he repaired sandals. And over the years, those around him were amazed at his peaceful presence and calming influence. 
they began to teach people this reality that one could spend their entire day in communion with God. The smallest task, like washing the dishes, could be done with God in his presence, allowing the soul to join with his. The word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship and unity. How different would our work be if we did it in unity with God? This means that writing an email doesn't have to be a meaningless task, but if done with awareness, could be a way of communing with God. Changing diapers, making lattes, taking notes in meetings, we don't have to do them alone. And this was the reality the first humans knew in the garden. Their work wasn't done on their own strength, but in unity with the Creator. Now they cultivated and gardened, but they didn't have the power to make plants grow or produce fruit. That could only come from God. How would this change us in our work? Maybe we could relax. We let go of pressure, knowing the results are not just on us. Maybe we could slow down, have joy, soaking in God's presence while working. Maybe we would think twice before we reacted to a coworker or gossiped about a supervisor. God's plan is that you commune with him. His plan is for you to work with him. But who do you work for? My sophomore year of high school, I sat in my friend's truck and my life was changed. Car sound systems were all the rage and he had just bought a 12 inch subwoofer and was showing it off. And it was so deep and loud. It sort of felt like a defibrillator, like vibrating my heart. I had to get one. Just wait till they see me with one of these. Guys will wanna be me. Girls will flock to me. Like most teenage boys, I was a guru when it came to knowing what girls want. So I started working jobs to pay for a system. Now, what did I do? Uh, I lived in the prairies of Oklahoma. So first I started by raking tumbleweeds. Uh, That one's not on my resume. And then I mowed some lawns and later I worked at our school and I cleaned toilets. Every moment I remembered what I was doing this work for. For the day, I could put in a sound system and blow people away, figuratively but also literally. Sometimes we work for money, knowing this money will provide things for us. And that's the entire reason. Not the work itself, but an end goal, a house, a vacation, food. Some people work for their bosses or an organization, gaining their approval or acceptance. Uh, Anyone had a bad boss before? Uh, Not me, I work at the church. All my bosses are perfect. I'm not just saying this because they're watching the sermon. It's because they're perfect in every way. And they're always quick to hand out generous raises to their beloved employees. Some work now for a chance to be somewhere else later. They're just working for this job until they can climb up to something more preferable. Some work for status, recognition, or titles. The job and tasks become a way to prove to the world how good you are, to add your resume or LinkedIn profile. But Adam and Eve, who did they work for? 
Who is their boss? Who gave their performance review? Did they work for status or build their resumes? Which I'd like to read their resumes. 10 years, chief caretaker and cultivator, overseeing the entire existence. Five years, director of animal names. Uh, in Genesis 2.15, the Hebrew word for work it is a bod, which at its root means to serve. The original call of work was to serve the purposes and intentions of God. It was to continue the work he had started, to expand his plans, not their own agenda. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord, not for human masters. Apparently, our work can be a way to honor God when we do it with all of our heart. You know what we call this, right? Worship. Worship is not something that starts at 10 a.m. in a building or now online. It's not something we either like or don't, depending on the instruments or singers. It's not something a government can close or something that's recorded on albums. Worship is how we respond to God with our entire beings, actions, words, decisions, thoughts. Now, what better place to worship than the place the average person will spend 90,000 hours of their life? What if you changed the name of your task list and started calling it an order of worship? First today, I'll respond to this email, not from my company, or my agenda, but as a way to serve and honor God. Second, today I'll attend this meeting, not clinging to my own agenda, but I'll listen and engage in a way that worships God. How would we work differently if we saw each moment as a chance to honor Him and serve His purposes? How would that change your motivations or your attitude? How about your level of excellence or work ethic? So, God's plan is that we work with him and we work for him as an act of worship. But then what? Years after the creation narrative, we find the Israelites in captivity in Egypt and we observe a different kind of work. Instead of Eden, God's place of wholeness, they're now in a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Pharaoh. Now, what did the Israelites do? They worked as slaves under the influence of empire. Now, empires can be summarized in a few words, power, size, and speed. For an empire to gain power, it needs to get bigger and stronger. To get bigger, it needs things done faster. They need more bricks to make more buildings, so inevitably, they need workers to carry the bricks. And these values start trickling down throughout the kingdom and workers subjected to fear and coercion and speed and exhaustion. And a feeling of scarcity pervades an empire. People scramble to get their piece of the pie and climb the ladder to prove their worth. Work becomes a place of pressure, a place to accumulate more and more, a place to compete and crush. Does that sound familiar? How many of us are doing our work in a way that reflects empire, reflects a kingdom of fear or scarcity? But God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. 
And his plan is to establish a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that would exist to bless the nations, not crush the nations. Instead of a kingdom of empire, it was a kingdom of shalom. Instead of a kingdom led by a power-hungry Pharaoh, this kingdom was led by the creator himself, a compassionate God, slow to anger. And one of the first things God commands them to do is take a weekly day of rest. Why? To remind them that they weren't created to be robots, machines, or slaves. They were made to be fully human. Not just bigger, faster, stronger, but fully alive and flourishing. And when Jesus came along, he couldn't stop talking about this kingdom. He talked about it more than anything else, announcing that it was available for anyone, regardless of status or power or achievement. This kingdom was based on abundance. You didn't have to fight for your place here. One time someone asked him what the most important rule of this kingdom was, and Jesus summed it up with one word, love. And what about Jesus? What did he do? One time in the book of John uh, 8, 29, he said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Jesus did his work, lived his life with God. And then he says, for I always do what pleases him. He did his work for God, for the purposes of the kingdom. So people were compelled by him, drawn to him. His work and ministry wasn't about lifting himself up. In fact, he became a servant. His work required climbing down the ladder and denying status and titles. But this wasn't all. Jesus went about another kind of work. We often call it the work of the cross, a sacrifice to defeat darkness and injustice and sin. The work of the cross justified all and established sacrificial love as the chief value of this kingdom. And after he resurrected, he told his disciples, those who long to follow him now have a new job, their job is to be his ambassador, to work in a foreign kingdom of empire and greed and consumerism in order to reflect another kingdom that's available, a kingdom of love. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is your work. The poet Khalil Gibran once said, work is love made visible. And this is certainly true for us because that's the main law and rule of this kingdom. When we work with God, not on our own power, He shapes our attitude. He shapes our words. He transforms our intentions and agenda. And our work becomes a place of communion, pervading with love. When we work for God, and not for status or a boss or accumulation, our work becomes a form of serving. Serving not driven by fear or pressure, but compelled by love for our Creator, His goodness. And we worship Him through every task. Because we work with Him and for Him, our work begins to reflect something glorious. It becomes a signpost for an alternative kingdom, That's not based on more and more, but
Ramadan, shalom, wholeness. Through your work, you can signal to others that they can get out of the rat race. They can take off the heavy yoke and burdens and they can rest. So what do you do? You commune and you worship and you love. When we work with God and we work for God, our work reflects God. So this week, I want to give you a simple challenge. And the challenge is this, to start each workday with this simple prayer. God, today, help me do my work with you. Help me do my work for you and help my work to reflect you.